is the Broodcast on Poets at War, Inkling-style Discord chat, last Friday of every month. And now, the Broodcast. The life in my brain is not always fun. I hear How are you guys doing? Not bad. Got doing well. A good bit more work done today. Um, just trying to ramp it back up. Um, I'm hope my hope is to be at full capacity tomorrow, and then have Sabbath, and then get you know fully launched into next week. I ramped it down over the course of Monday to Thursday this past week, and that really did me well because I really do not do well. I'm starting to notice with like sudden stops, um, even. Like, though I'm not going to do it, I'm never, you know, if I can help it do any work on Sunday, I am realizing I need to walk some, because otherwise I end up having a really bad time just keeping somewhat of a even keel. Hello, Brendan. <clears throat> but yeah, Hello. so I ramped down over until Thursday, and now I'm ramping back up to Saturday. So <clears throat> how are you, Brendan? Okay. Happy, more or less. <laughs> ah, yes. Same, same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, things are okay. Good, good, good to hear. Um, Ian, I may ask you. Uh, did what did you use when you published your eBooks for the formatting and all the other sorts of stuff? Formatting. Um. I just use Google Docs. That's what I thought. But I was just asking because I'm starting to really... Uh, going to like a standard PDF or whatever else is fine, but going to e actually going to EPUB and publishing as a... as a um, What's the term? Uh, DRM-free EPUB um, is a pain through Google Docs because it just loses all formatting and whatever else. And so I'm playing around with Babisco. They're fairly cheap, but, uh, and I, I just tried one for their free trial and whatever their free thing can do lots, but that's one of the things that they charge for is the EPUB export, but I'm wanting to do more of the EPUB PDF Moby TXT have all four of those formats as an ebook option kind of thing. So DRM free, get away from Amazon. I don't care if people pirate it so long as they're sharing it with somebody they love, <laughs> you know? Mm. So, <clears throat> yep. Oh boy. Cause I can always write. More. So do you have to, do you have to manually choose, uh, to set it is DRM free? Like, is there no generally no. does EPUB come built in with DRM? No. Um, generally okay. speaking, it doesn't unless you're using some kind of third party service to do the DRM. But the issue is Google Docs, it has an EPUB export option, but it doesn't, it's really bad at keeping the formatting that you mm -hmm. put into the document to begin with. Um, mm -hmm. And it's also bad at. Um, What's it called? Um, if you export it to like a PDF and then convert it, you know, um, or anything like that, just the, the, the formatting. I have not been pleased with the EPUBs that I've been putting out lately. The PDFs are fine. The t TXTs are fine. And I mm -hmm. don't have a Kindle to check the .mobis and really don't care particularly because mm -hmm. that's a Kindle specific format. Um, but I, I really am just trying to get the EPUBs to look nice. So that's that's what i'm playing with um, right now. 
try pages. I have. Same problem. Same problem as Docs. Same problem? Yep. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So. Oh, weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It doesn't seem like that should be a thing. Well, EPUBs are very... What's the term? They're very um, on the rails. They use whatever default uh, font your reader is uh, using usually. And then mm-hmm. they also... Um, it's like very specific in how it plugs in the information into certain like rails, if that makes sense. Um, okay. And so yeah. as a result, a lot of the formatting gets lost. If you go outside of that in any mm-hmm. way, shape or form, like this is the best EPUB I've been able to export yet. This one that I got from Babisco, but it's like, I still have everything left aligned because EPUB doesn't like having anything centered. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so there's little things like that and poetry. I prefer in centered alignment, but I I'm willing to go with this right mm-hmm. now until I find something better. Um, but yeah, it's a very on the rails kind of system built for e-readers and the like. So PDF is nice, except for the fact that it doesn't scale, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah. <clears throat> Hello, TK. Hi. Hi, TK. It's like YTK. Yeah, Y2- <laughs> Y2K? Anyway. <clears throat> Joshua. What? Can't do that. I can't do what? <laughs> can't make jokes like that when I'm not prepared. <laughs> oh, okay. You're going to make me fall over. <laughs> I just took a drink of tea. You're really lucky that I swallowed it before you said that. <laughs> Oh boy. Um so we've got four already. So who all That's is planning cool. on jumping on? I haven't heard of anyone else who has said that they are specifically, so I suppose we shall see. Um it seems like Abigail was probably out shopping. Um and anyone else. I know Daniel may hop in later briefly. Um he was having a hard time getting a ride to work and texted me and talked to her a little bit and whatever and yeah, he's he he wasn't asking help from people really very much. I mean, he was he was asking for help for rides, but he was like stuck in the next step instead of being like, okay, I'm in a bad situation and I need some real help <laughs> ongoing. And yeah. so, um, yeah, he just needed a pep talk. So he he may pop in to say hi to everybody and say he appreciates the prayers later. But I don't know of anyone else. I think Sarah said she actually has something planned this time instead of just forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we haven't seen other Alex in a while. Have you heard from him? I have. Uh, he's doing fine. He's been busy with uh, work stuff, and also he's become more involved with uh, the church awesome. that he's been going to there. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he's doing good. Good. Good to hear. Or at least last time I talked to him, he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's cool. Uh, I can I actually might send him a message just to remind him that we're live. What were you saying, Brendan? I, and he freezes. I think, doop, doop, doop. Meh. <laughs> eh, he'll, get, he'll get back around eventually. Um, at some point, Alex, 
I'm going to yes. employ your thoughts on Freak Show in order to pick a chapter to, for me to read tonight. Ooh. Which one did okay. you like? So, so yeah. think about which one you liked, and I'll read that one. I will go through in just a second. You back? Pick one. Yeah, my, my computer, which hates Discord for some reason, is uh, it crashed again. I don't know why. Is Brand new the, laptop. Is that the Mac or the PC? PC. Brand Weird. new PC. Weird. Consistently crashes on Discord. Hmm. Is it only a voice chat or is it just in general? In general. That's well, well, I mean, I mean, only no, only on voice chat. Okay. It can it can run text just yeah. fine. Okay. Hmm. But specifically calls, especially video calls. But um, anyway. <laughs> so yeah, this has the potential to be it, but we shall see. Did so any- I have a I have somebody I need to pick up from uh, the airport train station at nine. So I will need to bug out at that point. Um, I do have something to talk about, but it's not something to share. That's it's fine. more of a question mm-hmm. and kind of uh, get to sort of get your thoughts, all y'all's thoughts. Cool. Awesome. But, uh, Both Wilsons have something to share. I'm, I'm guessing. Oh, yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Alex, do you have anything to share? Um, I ha- I still have some stuff that I need help with as far as world building awesome. goes. So I don't have anything like written, but I do have some weird questions on world building that I need ha- some help with. Brendan helped me uh, earlier on in the week a cool. little bit. So, yeah. alrighty then, sounds fun. Be- well, that'll be fun. All right. Um. Mm-hmm. Did any? I guess we'll do a little discussion first. Did anyone uh, do any crazy shopping nonsense? Probably not. Not really. No. <laughs> Although I should check that Amazon cart that I had full of computer parts and see how low it's gotten. Yeah, there you go. Um, speaking of computer parts, back there, I have. I think, I think the Wilsons haven't seen yet. I have three 1990s PCs from my church that um, the retro market has shot up on eBay and stuff like that. People wanting machines for their old games and stuff. And so I'm working on repairing them and getting them up on eBay. I looked and they're going anywhere between 80 and three eight and 350 a piece on eBay. So not bad at all. Um, just some basic repairs. Your physical media, baby. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Long live Windows 95, am I right? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Hey. <laughs> I, I, I never worked on 95, but I grew up on Windows 98. There you so. go. Basically the same. Basically. Yeah. There was very little change except the um, internet stuff. As far as choice goes, probably either day in the life of a freak show or diagnosis day one or two. I could do both day one and day two. If you thought that would be good. I would do that. You would I would do that. that. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, as far as single like single block goes, Day in the Life of Freak Show is probably the best one. 
mm-hmm. that introduces Amy and all that fun stuff. Right. Uh, a little bit. Very briefly, yeah. But di- diagnosis, I, I think diagnosis day one and two together is probably the strongest. Cool. Sounds good. So. Sounds good. So that's what I'll read Um, when we get to it. What else is going on with y'all? Oh, right. the only thing I purchased for Black Friday was some uh, STL files for D&D minis. Oh, cool. They were half off at Hero Forge, so that was fun. Oh, they're half off on Hero Forge. I should have checked that out. Oh. <laughs> they're still half off, so. I might make a mini <laughs> because I have they're, a 3D they're, printer. They're, they're $3.99. Yeah, I have a 3D printer. Files. I have a 3D printer. Fight me, universe. uh, Yes, exactly. Screw screw you. I'm the GM now. (laughs) The the two things I've been looking at, um, one has not had any kind of Black Friday sale because they literally launched two two days ago as Procreate Dreams. It's 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. I'm saving Uh up for it. Uh, And then the other one is um, IFTTT.com, which is if this, then that. Uh, you know, they have, they are a social media API user interface that essentially lets you connect all your socials to whatever source you want and have, and not just socials, but like you can do smart home things, you can do other sorts of things. And it's basically like, they just have a ton of different API services that you can link together to do things like if you post to Twitter, it will automatically post to Facebook here, there, everywhere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can code it mm-hmm. and and set it up to where it'll automatically do certain things. And that right now their Black Friday sale is thirty bucks for a year. Which is not bad at all. It's not bad. Yeah. So and I use them their free version to the only thing that I really use it for right now, even though I could find a lot more, that's for sure, is to go from whenever I post a YouTube video, it automatically drafts it in my WordPress page, my, my website, so that I'm able to mm-hmm. just go in, change a couple things here or there, like the categories, you know, whatever, and hit post. It just makes it easier than, you know, copying everything over a lot quicker, you know, mm-hmm. than, than anything else. So it's just a time saver function. So, but... I thought the price was really good because they're normally closer to like 50, 60 bucks a year or like, you know, closer to five bucks a month kind of a thing when you do monthly. So like the fact that it's that low for a year, I'm like, "Mm." but you know, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Any other stuff going on with y'all you want to mention or talk about just to see if anyone else shows up basically. And uh, then we can, Launch into what we're sharing. Well, uh, I uh, started trying to get the edits done on the book ads for Poets at War. Mm-hmm. And I went back and listened to the Paralandra ad. Mm-hmm. And I really don't like my reading of it. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to go back, re- or basically redo all of the book ads and hopefully get something decent out okay. of it well sounds good sounds good but, yeah yep so. well, those will be good when you get them done oh um i'll read yeah. a, i'll read a really small thing that i got done today i i just um 
I plussed it with some AI stuff and then did some editing, you know, whatever. Just it's an ad thing. And ad stuff, I don't mind using AI for at all. It just gets the ball rolling. Um, but I was really happy mm. with the way it came out. Um, let me see here. Uh, this is just a description uh, for basically a, t- a teaser description for Guardians of Atlanta um, <clears throat> for... Uh, a Poets at War ad, but I'm using pieces of it for other things, too. So anyway, uh, I'll do dramatic. <clears throat> In the heart of Atlanta, a city teetering on the edge of chaos, four extraordinary individuals rise as the guardians of Atlanta, an unstoppable force against the encroaching shadows. William Crusader Avery, a knight with un- unwavering faith, leads this divergent team, joined by Cirrus Cy- Cyclone Jones, a weather controller gifted with angelic power. Bobby the Great Phantasma Carter, a master illusionist capable of bending light itself, and Amira Mirror Kadru, a seemingly innocent young girl, uh, young woman with the ability to copy powers and knowledge. As part of the coalition of underground resistances against global empire, courage, they stand as the city's last line of defense against political machinations and ancient evils seeking to plunge Atlanta into darkness once more. Brace yourself for a thrilling journey into the world of Courage Universe, where epic poetry meets superheroes in Guardians of Atlanta, an electrifying serial available in ebook, MP3, and animated video formats. So that's fun. <laughs> Sounds good. Yep. Very much the feel you're going for. Mm-hmm. Get some good music behind that, and yep, that'll be nice. So, <clears throat> all right. Well, there's nothing further. We can get started. Who wants to go first this evening? I will, because time restrictions on my end. Mm-hmm, go for um, it. And, and it's really less of a share and more of a question. Uh, mm-hmm. But I should give some background. So my family, my whole family plays D&D. I started playing D&D with my mother and father. And uh, um, that was how we got started. And uh, recently, we have picked up a, I mean, we, they, and by extension me, have picked up a one ring D&D 5 conversion that takes the Lord of the Rings setting and um, it it originally had a whole bunch of rules. It takes Lord of the Rings setting and it changes a lot of the rules of D and D fifth edition to, um, to accommodate the classes are completely different. There's no magic. Uh, There's no like classes with magic. So you're not going to have wizards or clerics or anything like that. Um, All of the magic is done by high level NPCs, So you're not running into that issue. And it takes place in between Bilbo's adventure and Frodo's adventure. Hmm. So that's the time frame in the story. As I was looking through, um, some of the mechanics that the game added, primarily, the, the, the one that I was looking at was this thing called Shadow Paths and Shadow Points. And it's basically taking that whole the ring corrupting Boromir idea and making it something that can happen to the PCs. Okay, fine. I am very for, like, 
dark stuff. I'm for dark fantasy. I'm for that sort of emotional thing. But when I say dark fantasy, I don't think the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. I think of things like um, the uh, well, Dark Tower, if you're if we're going to go Stephen King, but um, the Black Company by Glenn Cook. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are all kinds of other things that you could consider dark fantasy. I don't think the Lord of the Rings is dark fantasy. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, the reason the Lord of the Rings is in dark fantasy is because of the characters. No. If you take out Aragorn, if you take out Frodo's insanely strong will and Sam's insanely strong will, if you take out, like, the heroic heroism of the characters, is the world not, like... Like, the whole point of, like, you've got Sauron... Yeah, Sauron is defeated in the battle at Mordor. Okay, but is slowly looming and creeping and growing, right? There's the necromancer in Mirkwood, um, who is sort of Sauron, you know. There's the Mines of Moria and the Shadows Underneath. You've got the Silmarillion history, the Fall of Gondolin. You've got um, Morgoth, Shelob being the heir of Ongoliant the Terrible. There's a lot of... It's not all bad, but there's a lot of, like, uh, to quote Aragorn, it's a sad tale, as are many of the tales of, you know, Middle-earth, when talking about Baron and Luthien. Um, you know, is so I guess, like, I don't think The Lord of the Rings is dark fantasy. But when I'm coming in and I'm bringing in, I'm going to be, I'm theoretically DMing this game. I'm sitting here wondering, like, like, I, I guess how much, how far do you lean into it, um, in, into the evil, right? Because evil is necessary, but like the the whole system, the way that the game's mechanics were designed, it's like you're this isn't a power trip. Mm-hmm. You're not the Avengers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're not guys who can. I mean, I mean. Yeah, you know, in, in the in, eventually you might be heroes who can cleave through hordes of goblins and, you know, stuff like that. But you're not starting off that way. Right. And yeah, there are powerful characters, but, you know, it's I, ju- I just I don't know. I, I'm, I'm wondering. I, I guess my question is how. How am am I one? Am I wrong in saying that um, whether or not a fantasy or dark is dark or not has it does have something to do with the world, but also has more to do with the characters and how they're written? Mm-hmm. Is that something that I, that you think is correct in this instance? So okay, um, yeah. Basically, the two things that I would differentiate are the world of Arda is not dark but the third age very specifically is very dark right okay um and also different parts of the world even in the third age are more dark than others as well as characters etc because you put we bring it like all the world's forces and everything all the big major powers in the world yes they're very dark and all of good is kind of fading the elves are going into the west that sort of thing like that's Mm -hmm. all there 
but also you have little pockets of goodness, such as the Dunedain and the well, Tom Bombadil, the Dunedain, yeah. the Shire, the the Western lands in general. Um, you still yeah. Even, uh, even in Rohan, you still have Aemer's uh, forces and Aemer mm-hmm. growing up and everything during whatever time you're in, you know, that kind of a thing. So they're still good there, even though Wormtongue's getting in and corrupting things. Mm-hmm. They're still good mm-hmm. in Rohan, even at the beginning of, of, of this, this period. There's still good in Gondor, but it's it's failing and waning because they're obsessed with the past. Um, mm-hmm. So really, the main thrust of anywhere that is good is actually of a waning good where people are forgetting and being forgetful. Um, hmm. They are forgetting the past. They are forgetting history. They are more concerned about the short term of the present because things are darkening. Things are falling. And so I think in a very real sense, it should feel a lot like it is today because <laughs> that's kind of what Tolkien was going for. And when I say today, I'm thinking the last hundred years. Um, so you need to think of it as there are really, really good characters that just don't have, I think Faramir is a really great example of this. Faramir has a sense of nobility and he has a sense of all this sort of stuff, but he also feels incredibly weak and drawn out. And as Bilbo would say, like butter scraped over too much bread. I think everybody's kind of feeling that in the third age, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think it's more of a, of a sense of gray, than it is a sense of black, sure. you know. Well, right, yeah. Well, and you you so can. Let's, uh, let let's let's get our definitions here. What is all right? First of all, what is Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings is high fantasy. Am I right? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Well, 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 yeah. That's like the penultimate example. So, what exactly is dark fantasy? How do we quantify that? Mm. That's a good question. My general view of dark fantasy is that, well, I mean, the one that I'm familiar with the most is the Black Company. And in the Black Company, um, what powers exist and what powers are throwing, and by powers, I mean strong powers, right? What powers are throwing their weight around are very much like the Norse gods. And I say that not in the sense of the bloviating, oh, we're heroic, but more of the you want to be on their side because the other side is so much worse. Mm -hmm. You know, the good guy like you in the black company, you're following a small band of mercenaries and they get hired by the queen. Great. No, (laughs) the queen is not a good person. But the Dark Lord that she's opposing is so much worse that you would rather have her win. You know, so that's what I think. I I don't think dark fantasy. I'm not thinking grim dark in the sense of like, oh, it's it's bleak. There's no hope. If you have hope, you're stupid. Right. Right. That's not what I mean. I just mean like I'm thinking barrel whites, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nazgul, like all of the very active forces, not counting Elrond or Gandalf, right? But all of the active forces tend to be in the dark, right? All of the 
things that have been left behind. I, right? would, because I would argue, the, except for Gandalf and Elrond, even all the good forces like Galadriel are sort of in the dark. Because Galadriel is basically yeah. cut off, you know? So, like, yeah, it's it's a thing where all of all of the, the power, if it's, like you said, if it's active, it's it seems to be more dark, you know, with the exception of Elrond and Gandalf. Um, but all yeah. of the, the, uh, the, there are other good powers that are essentially mm-hmm. like frozen or leaving too. So it's like, even, yeah. even Bombadil his is frozen by his own nature at this point. It's like the old good doesn't work anymore. Kind of feeling, you know, this yeah. is, this is so the idea I of, would say, mm-hmm. go ahead. I, I would, I would say it is in a way apocalyptic fantasy. Yeah. That's okay, a good way to put way. it. Now, I'm going to draw a comparison because this, having, uh, a- after having read The Silmarillion and after having read a lot of H.P. Lovecraft stories, I, I couldn't help but notice that there was a similarity in, like, the, uh, the world building. Uh, I can't mm-hmm. really explain why. But, like, the Balrogs... The Balrogs are really, really similar to some of the outer gods from Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. I mean, not like physically, but just this overwhelming, overpowering, malevolent force that wants to crush you and does not care. Oh, that's a different type of thing. We need to get out of here because we're not winning against this. Yeah. 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 Unless you're Glorfindel, but... but... <laughs> Yeah, well, Glorf- yeah, Glorfindel's a whole other thing himself. Card. Well, yeah, he's 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 the good version of the Balrog. He's he's something else entirely, yeah. you know. <laughs> Glorfindel is 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 Glorfindel is you catastrophe in human form, <laughs> elfin elven form, but yeah, elven form. Sorry, That's amazing. Yes. Also, this Anyhow. is putting aside the fact that technically the Balrog are my are so. Yeah, the good version of the Maya or Gandalf. Oh. Yeah. Yes. So, so what you have in that case, um, now I'm going to get technical here because Conan the Barbarian is actually part of the Lovecraft universe. A lot of people don't realize that. He's, yeah, they're part of the the same. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's uh, cool. Can, I like that. Robert E. Howard and, and H.P. Lovecraft compared notes. I'm sorry, I'm covering Chris's face. <laughs> they they compared notes. They were good friends. Hello, and, Abigail. Uh, Hello. How, How we doing? doing? Hi, Abby. Hi. You're alive and well? So. Yes. More Deus Volt than before? Hmm? More Deus Volt than even before? <laughs> A little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, we were just discussing a question from Brendan, which I can sum up as uh, he's doing this instead of a uh, presentation this time. Basically, he's going to be DMing a Lord of the Rings D and D type thing with his family, and he's trying to nail down uh, just without you know the the actual full everything that Tolkien wrote and the goodness that he put into the world is the world itself some kind of dark fantasy. And so far we've come to, it's more like apocalyptic fantasy. Um, and we're discussing. So, um, Ian, you want to continue? Anyway, um, in his world, 
Conan is basically the most moral man alive. And that's not good. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's not good because he does a lot of things that are morally questionable. A lot of things that are morally questionable. But you can't help but like him because at least he's trying to be... He's trying to follow a very simple morality that he has, this sort of barbaric morality. And he lives in an incredibly corrupt, decadent world. Um, But I wouldn't necessarily consider that dark fantasy in the strictest sense. So Mm -hmm. I forgot where I was going with that. But anyway, so if you compare, like, Tolkien's world to like Robert E. Howard H.P. Lovecraft type things there's a, a marked similarity there in <clears throat> in terms of the Sauron and Morgoth and the, um, the Balrogs just overwhelming, overpowering evil that is intelligent, that wants to eat you alive and lives on corruption and death and you find a lot of those same elements in dark fantasy like hp lovecraft yeah i think that's sort of another it's not a thing specific to dark fantasy but i think that it's that corrupting element it's that internal evil corruption element that i tend to associate with dark fantasy where if it's not, again, it's not a trope, uh, or not a trope, it's not a characteristic of it, but I, part of the, again, I don't, I didn't want to get into this because, uh, but like mechanics of the game, you can get these things called shadow points, where if you see something terrifying, like a Balrog, a cave troll, a whatever, something that is, or you see the aftermath of an orc raid or whatever, that can give you dread. That gives you a certain number of shadow points. Once you reach a certain number of shadow points, you have what's called a bout of madness. Think Boromir um, trying to take the ring from Frodo. And after your bout of madness is over, you are then on one step on your individual shadow path, which is based on your class, and I don't want to get into all that thing. But if you take that step, you now have, like, uh, let's just say you are, the lure of power is your shadow path. You are, um, you are now permanently resentful. And what that means is, is that your character is kind of resentful of the people he's supposed to lead because he feels like I do all of this stuff for you and you can't keep up. Right. And it's that corrupting element, right? Like they, they've mechanized this within the game. So, but it's that internal corruption element that is going, that I'm going to have to find some way of feeding to the players that, I want to tell a good story, and I think that that could be really compelling and really fun and really interesting, mm-hmm. but it almost, I don't know if, like, I don't want to be too heavy-handed with it, and that's why I'm sort of trying to figure out, like, like, and this is just a specific, like, logistical storytelling thing at this point, but I was hoping that in asking about the world and, like, is the world really that dark, right? Or is this, or is the assumption that the people who wrote this, like, incorrect? But 
it's that it, it, again it's it's if the if the bad guys were just trying to kill you and eat you that would be one thing but you said that the evil is intelligent and it really is intelligent and it knows that it can win by luring you with enticing mm. words and stuff and that's that's the dark that's the dark of the dark fantasy that i think is more yes i agree mm. yeah okay has anybody is there... here sorry go no go ahead tk go ahead you say first go ahead so has anybody here watched Puella Magi Madoka Magica, the anime? Yes. Of course he had. <laughs> okay, that's actually my that favorite was... anime. Of course it's your favorite anime. <laughs> 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 that is a do weird we, do we spoil it? Do, do we do we spoil it? I don't care. <laughs> anybody, anybody okay. Else? Do you want to take this TK or should I? <laughs> I? I can do it. Um, do it. In this anime, it runs on the assumption that there is such a thing as magic. There is such a thing as magical girls, like, for instance, um, Sailor Moon. And through these magical girls, society has been able to advance. However, in exchange for their magical powers... And the miraculous wish that they want more than anything in the world, the girls give up their souls. And the soul is pictured as, yeah, I know, it's heavy. Ooh. It gets better, though. The souls oh, it gets are so much better. As little, gems, as little gems that can get darker or lighter depending on wishes you kill. However, the witches are former magical girls. So eventually, this is the fate of all of the characters, is that they will fall, they will become witches, and then they will be killed by other girls who will become witches. That's terrible. I know. But let me explain why it's my favorite. Who tell? <laughs> At the end of the story, one of the girls I, decides to make a wish that she will take on all the suffering and she can therefore take the girls away with her to paradise. She becomes essentially a G a messiah type figure. Mm -hmm. So that's what the shadow points made me think of is like there's a ticking timer. If you had some way to yeah. perhaps make the ticking t clock visible, that might help. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. Is there a way to is there a way to deal with the shadow points in system, or do they yes. just grow and they eventually kill you? Because so um, when you take a break in between adventures, you can do a spiritual. I think it's called a a, a, a spiritual rest or something like that, and that will let you get rid of shadow points. Mm -hmm. The entire group has to agree to do this, unless it's Christmas. During the Christmas, you can do it on your own. Yes, they implemented That's a. Awesome. They implemented a special. Well, they call it Yule, but they implemented a special Christmas break that you can do. That's very Tolkien. Yeah, credit where credits due. The guys did their research, even though he the... complained about Santa Claus and Narnia. But I digress. <laughs> yeah, well... uh, that's very Tolkien. Yeah. 
yeah, now the guys did their research, but yeah. <laughs> Madoka Magica is so... <laughs> when I saw the reveal, TK, and I was like, what do you mean all the magical girls are zombies? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, that is the biggest twist ever. <laughs> anyway. So did that mostly answer your question? Are we good on that? I mean, sort of. It it gave, it gave me stuff to think about, which is what I needed. Awesome. Really, more than an actual answer. Well, that's good. Abigail, are you going to be sharing something with us this evening? If she can get to her mute button. There we go. Sorry, I had to unmute myself. It's all good? Um, let's see. Okay, hold on. I'm out in the, the chaos here. Okay. <laughs> She'll ring back in when she's ready and let me know then. Um, not ring back in. You know what I mean, but just her personality. No, I'm closing. Okay. Hello. Hello. Yes. Um, so were you uh, going to be sharing something this evening or no? Or maybe later or what? I was doing things with my uh, family this evening and, uh, you know, things are chaotic. So Cool. Just listening in then? <laughs> a little bit more family. Yeah. And I'll probably have to bump, jump off in a minute. Well, whenever you do, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. But um, let me see. I think I can actually turn on the... I might be able to turn on the video today so I can figure out how. There it is. <laughs> Hello. Hello. It's good to see you. Whoa. We're falling <laughs> over. Yes, I am. Because I'm not bothering <laughs> to pull out my little stand. There we go. There okay. we go. So, yeah. Okay. So, really quickly, I suppose, I was hoping to be available to chat more. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about doing a... Um... There we go. A Nutcracker suite retelling. Mm -hmm. And possibly even for... Christmas time mm -hmm. and posting it on Substack and I either need somebody to talk me out of it or talk me into it because I think it could be really cool and I'm trying to figure out how to like put it together right so I want to put it into my um, the world that I'm writing right now so it's early medieval European fantasy um, with a uh, I think a princess who gets pulled into another world and I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to figure out like what, what, what are some of the elements of Nutcracker that are really important, and how would you guys retell it and things like that? Um, let's see. I know very little about the Nutcracker overall, to be quite frank. I need to know more, but I know that the thing that immediately makes me go, makes me happy anytime I hear about Nutcracker, this or that other, is I want to see the Rat King. Just because it's such a weird thing. <laughs> but that's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but how would you right interpret down. the Rat King? Uh, do what? How would you interpret the Rat King? How would I interpret the Rat King? <laughs> for your... I mean, um, it, there's for, an for interpretation your... of the Rat King. of mm -hmm. um, like it, Sometimes when a rat colony gets right. too large, all the tails get tangled. Right, yes. And you end up with it, what's called the Rat King. Mm -hmm. Or would you interpret as literally a king rat I don't know how would everyone TK <laughs> I'm actually reading a Nutcracker right now so this was very apropos um, in character the seven headed mouse king is 
a representation of revenge and greed. I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't read it. And if you thought about it, I don't know how you do this because this is medieval Europe, but in Japan there is a yokai. I don't remember the name of it, but the name translates to rat monk. And the rat monk used to be a human that was transformed into a rat upon his death because of his avarice. His, his so, name was Master Slither. <laughs> That's what the illustrations actually look like. It looks like Splinter. <laughs> so, there is mythological precedent, so you could do a giant rat man. Okay, that could be interesting. I'll have to look up the uh, Japanese <laughs> version. I mean, I'm already going to combine this with um, Pied Piper of Hamlin. Yes. Oh. Because why not? Yeah. Definitely. I was thinking of having this this legend of this, um, you know, having the Rat King as the Pied Piper who comes into this town and calls away all the children. Yes. And, well, for rats first, but then the children. And pulls them into this other world and turns them into his ungodly army of like horror and then wants to pull in the uh the princess and she and the nutcracker prince take it must take a stand against the rat king flash the pied piper of hamlin and i could throw in this other guy too i like the idea of avarice as being his main motivation that's really interesting and that ties in with the pied piper too Mm -hmm. if you want to interpret that way for um, little bits. Hmm? Brendan? No, I, I was just going to say, uh, to answer your original question, I didn't know about a Rat King until relatively recently, so my mental image would be a big king, a big rat, probably fat, with a, well, if I'm being cartoonish, with one of those ridiculous king crowns that's got, like, red poofiness and, you know, one of yeah. those <laughs> and a big purple robe, uh, if we're being cartoon. Uh, the other option is just a the the biggest meanest looking rat uh, from uh, the Skaven from Warhammer, which Skaven are rat people. So the R O U S S. Yeah, we're going anyway. Yeah, kind of, but anthropomorphic. Uh, no, I was I was just gonna mention Pied Piper of Hamlin. Have you listened to the Heart and Cosmos episode of that? Yeah, it's so good. That was so interesting. <laughs> it is so good. Yeah, that was. That was what gave me the idea. I was listening to it like, wait a minute, this combines with Nutcracker so well I dig that it, it would make a fantastic combination. Just, and like, just yeah, just the combination of those two, um, and like, I don't know. There's something that's beckoning to me from Eastern Europe too that you could bring in something of maybe vampiric situation like actual vampires not something crazy you know you know i don't know something well yeah i just there's something about like eastern european castles like they did the they did that episode on the what was it the the castle that was um supposedly constructed to keep something in in cosmos yeah i forget the name of it but you know what i mean so yeah that kind of thing like that yeah Mm -hmm. that would be interesting trying to contain the rat king yeah, the other element of the Nutcracker that's really interesting is the, um, the dream. Like, it's specifically a dream 
Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out how to tie that in with like, this is really happening, and yet there's a dream element to the it. Ma- too, the Matrix. So. Yeah. You pull a Matrix, like that, yeah. <laughs> not the oh, literal oh. Matrix. Yeah, I'm no, saying the, the the function of the Matrix. To... I don't. Oh well. The okay, function yeah, of the that. Matrix. I'm oh, saying cool. like the the so so the Pied Piper, uh, maybe even gets the 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 girl. Uh, uh, and the Nutcracker Prince, like they're two of the children that are being taken away, and their and their function of their adventure is in the matrix of the trance of the Pied Piperdom. Just an idea. That could be interesting. Yeah, go ahead, I'll Brendan. I'll play with that one. Two things. One, I think traditionally, vampires used to turn into swarms of creatures. Mm-hmm. So perhaps the rat like king rat. has perhaps the rat king has the capacity to turn into a swarm of rats. You could have your cake that. and eat it too. But that's going over the top. Dream world. I don't know why, but it made me think of Nightmare Before Christmas. Which I have not seen. You should. Short version, every holiday has a door that you can go to into the realm of that holiday. And in The Nightmare Before Christmas, Jack, who is the king of Halloween, goes through the Christmas door by accident or on purpose and falls in love with the idea of Christmas, right? Yeah. Kind of ridiculous or whatever. But if the Pied Piper is a thing, you know, it's a dream. It could be a dream. It's, it's you know... There could be a dream element to it, but there was some movie where a girl like had to f- like face the boogeyman or something like that. And to do that, she crawled under her bed and she actually underneath her bed teleported her to another world. And I don't know the movie because I didn't watch it. I just know it is of its existence. But um, Perhaps with the Pied Piper thing, he leads them through a door into a world that normally humans only can go to in dreams. So it's a temporary thing and they're sort of not they're not supposed to be there. So they they go there in their dreams and they don't have to use this door, but he can use the door or whatever. I don't know. Um, But yeah, that's. Yeah, those are some good ideas, though. Yeah. I dig brainstorming. It. That's what I need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully that gave you Especially some ideas. Be... Yeah. I mean, if, I, if I'm going to be insane and try to write this like next month and post it as I go, which would be totally crazy, but also really fun. Sort of like a late yeah, nano rimo ish sort of thing. Except with horrible accountability because people might be reading it. <laughs> <laughs> uh... On the other hand, it would give me credit. Fine, so. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, yeah, that was what I wanted to talk about. So, did anyone have anything else on that? You got some other. It sounds cool. You got some other Lovecraftian connection there, Ian. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. What? (laughs) How is the Pied Piper of Hamlin actually the great old? The, the seven seven had a okay. Actually, hold on, actually, hold on, hold on. Is... You joke. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on, go on, Ian. <laughs> uh, there, there is actually a Lovecraft story called Rats in the Walls, where this guy 
buys an old English estate, like a really old English estate, and he keeps hearing these these rats in the walls, and he follows the rats down and under his mansion are all these like primitive creatures, and he is like devolving into a, a, a caveman and then into basically an ape man thing. It's it's really bizarre. And then there's this other one where uh, it's it's basically chronicling the story of this family that had lived in central New York for hundreds of years, and uh, they basically devolved into rat monsters as well. (laughs) Oh, yes, there's a Lovecraftian uh, connection there. Of course there is. Why not? (laughs) Just saying. I mean, Lovecraft didn't do everything. Not everything in the Lovecraft mythos was written by Lovecraft because his whole thing or part of his whole thing was like making a universe that anybody can just kind of write in. But um, yeah, you could totally I could totally see someone saying, oh, no, the Pied Piper is like another yellow king. It is a eldritch deity that just wanders around and causes chaos and messes with people because it can why did the pipe piper do what he wanted? Why he? Why did the pipe piper do that? I don't. No one knows. He's crazy. Oh boy. But like, it's hard to do that considering "pay the piper" is the phrase that comes from that story. So right. we know why the pipe piper did that. It's because the town people didn't pay him. Like, yeah. like they said they so would. It's not pure chaos. It's more jigsaw. Yeah. yeah, it's malicious. Yeah, it's not chaotic. It's more like Jigsaw from the Saw movies. That kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Like, no finesse. All right. I got to get going. So. Alrighty. We'll see you, Abigail. Good seeing you all. All Mm -hmm. Good having you all. I'm dropping a link in the group chat for you. Okay. Alrighty. So, um, very nice. What is, uh, what is next this evening? Do I need to go next, or the Wilsons, or one of the Wilsons, or Alex? Did you want to do your world building thing? I'm going. Well, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm unfortunately going to have to duck out for a bit to take uh, to to pick somebody up from the train station. But TK, do you have any quippy dialogue? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Um, Brendan, are you going yeah. to be back? I'm going to try to be back. But I don't know how long it's going to take me because I've got to pick him up and then drop him off at where he's sleeping and then come back. So you're looking at at least at least probably like 40 minutes. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. Yeah. Hopefully catch him because I know world building. Cool. So I know that he likes world building and we've already talked a little bit about it. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. If, if I'm not back, don't wait for me. Okay. I'm not that yeah, special. Yeah. Yeah, all right. But uh, I'll wait. I'll wait till last. I'll go last. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Good cheerio, lads. All right, we'll see yeah. you. All right. So, uh, it's one of you two lovely people in New York, or myself. Sure, I can. I can. Um, yeah, read something I wrote. All right, <laughs> I like listening. 
What what world are we going to this evening? Is it Walter still or something we else? We are uh, we are we are in the the uh, uh, the werewolf story, but Walter Ulrich. Um, so last time we were here, uh, I read a bit from my um, from the story I'm working on right now. This is Walter as a much younger man. He's, he's 16 years old in high school. And he, uh, of course, is getting in trouble and doing the things that Walter does. So we're going to get we're going to pick up about, I don't know, a third of the way through the story, wherever it was we left off last week. Walter's fists hit the punching bag with a rhythmic thudding as he circled around. This was his meditation. Boxing and the shooting range were the places he felt most the most clarity. He knew exactly who he was and what he was doing. His head was clear for once. A sudden noise came over the two-way radio a few feet away from him. Walter removed one of his gloves and pressed the send button. Come in, he said. Hello, Cheney, this is Karloff said a voice from the other end. It was Steve, Walter's best friend and confidant, who, in his off hours, was a radio ham. Who the hell else would it be? asked Walter sarcastically. It's proper ham radio etiquette, replied Steve. I heard you shoved Howard Sinowitz into a locker, over. With a smile on my face, over, said Walter. Typical, said Steve. It was being creepy with Judy again, continued Walter. That insect makes my skin crawl. At least you didn't break his arm, said Steve, alluding to an incident from the prior year. Walter snorted. I got that weird signal again, continued Steve, changing the subject. Walter paused. This was the third or fourth time this month that Steve had reported a bizarre radio frequency interrupting local signals. It was, in the, it was in a signal range that is not used by any radio, television, or cell phone signals. It was also extremely powerful. It would pulse for several minutes, interrupting radio signals for two to five minutes. Any idea where it's coming from? asked Walter. Somewhere in the Crystal Creek neighborhood, replied Steve. Walter pondered this a moment. The signal seemed to be associated with odd happenings. Bizarre, unexplained events were not uncommon in the town of North Fork, but there had been an uptick in these occurrences lately, corresponding with the sudden arrival of the signal. Think you might track it down? asked Walter. Maybe next time it occurs, replied Steve. Well, any idea when that would be? inquired Walter. Hang on, let me let me check my notes, Steve said. There was a silence of about two or three minutes until Steve finally replied, stating, Looks like tomorrow between ten o'clock and midnight our best m might be our best bet of finding where, the where this is broadcasting from. Walter grunted. He'd need to find an excuse for being out that late. The barn door opened with a sudden creak of hinges. Walter, said a voice. Walter turned around. His mother, Betty, stood in the doorway, holding the wireless phone. 
It's Judy, she said quietly. Can I call you back, Steve? said Walter. Sure thing. Over and out, replied Steve. Walter gladly took the phone from his mother and said, Hey, Jude. Are you ever going to stop saying that? asked Judy. Not as long as I'm breathing, replied Walter. <laughs> Judy giggled from the other end. Walter loved the sound of her laughter. I never properly thanked you for what you did today. It was my pleasure, said said Walter. Oh, I got my voices mixed up. <laughs> I never properly thanked you for what you did today. It was my pleasure, said Walter, with a roguish grin. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. You doing anything tomorrow night? she asked. Yeah, sorry, babe, but Steve and I have something going on, Walter replied reluctantly. There was a long pause. Walter heard what sounded like heavy breathing on the line. Catherine, get the hell off the line, Walter growled. There was a click as Walter's younger cousin hung up the phone. <laughs> Sorry about that, said Walter. If I didn't know any better, I'd say you'd like Steve better than you like me, said Judy coyly. Well, if you're going to be that way, said Walter with a snort, maybe I'll just start going out with him. <laughs> Judy laughed. You're such a jack wagon. One of the best, Walter replied. Listen, I've got some homework to do, said Judy. I'll call you tomorrow. Good night, Judy, said Walter, as he passed, pressed the end call button. Having completed his workout, Walter then returned to the house, took a shower, and went to bed. Quiet as the grave. That's what Walter thought of it. It was an almost unnatural calm, occasionally interrupted by the baying of a distant hound. The truck came to a stop along the well-manicured lawn in an upstate upscale for West Virginia neighborhood. This was where the little town's elite lived. Outside of Swaggart County, they were, they were just upper middle class, but, they, but here they were royalty. Walter stepped out of the truck, holding a parabolic dish in, in one hand. The dish was connected to a long cable that coiled back into the passenger seat of the pickup truck, where Steve sat looking at his monitors. Walter sm swung the dish slowly from side to side. Got anything? asked Walter. Not yet, replied Steve. Any minute now. Walter continued to swing the dish slowly, waiting for a wor for the word from Steve. Hey-o, said Steve. Swing it slowly to the right. Walter did as he was bade. Yep, there it is, said Steve. Steve exited the vehicle holding the handheld a handheld device that and pointed westward. That way, he said. Walter crept forward, quiet as a cat, still holding the parabolic dish. They crept between the pick, a picket fence and a juniper hedge toward an anomalous, the anomalous signal. Between the prickly branches of the bushes, Walter spied a peculiar sight. Several people in dark cloaks entering a, a rather large, ornate house through a back door. What do you see? whispered Steve. I'm gonna Walter as he crept closer to the strange house. He could just barely see a light flickering from one of the basement windows, as though a flame burned within. He could just barely hear what that's supposed to be sounded, not pounded. Sounded like chanting coming from that dimly lit cellar. Walter could feel every hair on his body standing on end. Something was very wrong. He paused, 
Walter did not fear much besides God and his father's wrath, but something about this situation frightened him. He was frozen, too afraid to move forward, too curious to go back. A snapping twig and the sound of heavy feet walking through the leaves snapped Walter from his trance. He looked about. A short, squat human shape was just barely visible in the light cast by a porch lamp. Walter followed the person as a panther stalks a deer. The figure paused, crouching low behind some bushes. Walter caught his scent on the wind, pungent and very familiar. The figure drew a camera with a telescopic lens from, a, from his bag and aimed it at a particular window of a nearby house. A sudden wave of rage overtook Walter when he recognized the house. It was none other than Judy's. And this was none other than, than Howard Sinowitz. Overcome with anger, Walter grabbed Sinowitz by the shirt and dragged him out of the hedge, screaming and cursing incoherently. <laughs> Wrenching the camera from his hands, he tossed it away. Walter and Howard then fell to grappling on the grass. Walter, stop! cried Steve, but there was no stopping the blood-mad rage that gripped Walter now. Though Walter was by far strong, the stronger of the two, Sinowitz outweighed him by a a good portion, and this made the fight more challenging. But Walter no loved nothing more than a good fight. Suddenly the two were illuminated by a pool of light. A strange tone interrupted, a single tone erupted from the sheriff's vehicle. Freeze, said Sheriff Dunn's voice. Hands in the air, now. Walter did as he was told. Sinowitz, meanwhile, took off running into who knows where. Walter growled and cursed. Not long afterward, he found himself at the sheriff's office. Sheriff Dunn glowered at Walter, his steel-blue eyes boring into his very soul. What were you doing? he asked. I want to talk to a, a lawyer, said Walter. Sheriff Dunn sighed deeply and stood up from the table. Just then, the door swung open. It was Walter's father. Walter! roared Goodman. What the Sam hell did you think you were doing? I was just... Walter started. Never mind, said Goodman. Sheriff, what was he doing? We got a report of prowlers down in the Crystal Creek area and went to investigate, said Sheriff Dunn. We found Walter assaulting another young man, but he ran away. What were you doing in Crystal Creek? asked Goodman. You said you were doing a science project with Steve. In a manner of speaking, we were, replied Walter. What were you doing, really? asked Goodman, cocking his head to one side. Steve's been catching a weird signal from Crystal Creek, and we went to have a look around, replied Walter. I had a feeling something weird was going on over there. Goodman rubbed his face in his hands. Who was it you were beating up? Sinowitz said Walter. Again? said said Goodman. He was stalking Judy, growled Walter in a low voice. Caught him with a camera aimed at her house. The sheriff sighed. Walter, I've cut you some slack in the past, but I'm go getting to the end of that. I'm going to let you off with a warning, but this is the last time. Yes, sir, said Walter solemnly. The two men then left the sheriff's office out into the dark night where Walter felt Walter felt the sudden impact of his father's hand on the back of his head. 
What the hell were you thinking? said Goodman. <coughs> I was thinking I was tired of Sinowitz creeping on my girl. What did we just talk about yesterday? asked Goodman. Walter heaved a big sigh. I need to be careful or I'm going to scare people. That's right, said Goodman. Now get in the truck, we're going home. Now there is more if you want if you want to hear it, but um, if, if you'd rather just discuss it, you can go ahead and break in. Well, I'm really enjoying what you're... Um... <clears throat> what you've put into process, you know, based on the uh, last month's, you know, discussion and everything. Some of the stuff is further along with the ham radio stuff. I'm loving listening to that. Um, <clears throat> it's giving it a definite vibe that I'm, I'm liking a lot. I like smack talk with overs at the end of each, <laughs> for, for whatever reason that just hits me right. Um, hello, how are you? Coming into the broadcast first time, broadcast. What's your friend's name again, Alex? Does he go by Zach? Zach, that's right. I forget your name. So, how are you, Zach? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Popping in for the first time to the broadcast, huh? Yep. Cool. Uh, Ian, who you see there, uh, he just finished reading. From his Walter Ulrich series, uh, he's working on some cool stuff. Um, that Walter, Walter Ulrich is a, is a werewolf, uh, and he's sort of doing the younger adventures of, from what I'm gathering so far. And um, yeah, he's he's like a werewolf uh, detective, kind of fun. So yeah, that sounds sick, actually. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, you should definitely check it, that out. When it you very much is, <laughs> but I'm really, loving, <laughs> I'm really loving the quippy dialogue that you have in there. Um, is TK helping you with that or are you getting most of that yourself? She hasn't helped me at all. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause the thing is you get it from each other. You guys are the quippy dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we talk. Exactly. That's literally how we talk all the time. Yep. Yep. I love that. It, it reminds me of, um, not directly, but it reminds me of the give and take that, uh, though a lot less tumultuous, um, between the Sherman brothers. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the uh, the Disney. It's the guy who the guys who wrote most of the old Disney songs. Um, they they were pair of brothers, and they has a documentary on them and stuff. And they had a they had a much more tumultuous later period of life, but. Um, that their their sibling friction was what made them really good, <laughs> um, and and I see that a little bit in you guys. Um, and it wasn't bad friction necessarily. Like later on, it was, but like the, they they one of them was was really like dramatic and more like the inward soulful person, and then the other one was just like. Uh, you know, happy-go-lucky, whatever, and he would pound stuff out on the piano all day and just start saying random stuff, and the other one would listen and try and, and like, think of uh, think of lines himself as best as he could and write everything down. <laughs> but that's how they wrote their songs, you know? So... <laughs> Is the, the guys who wrote Mary Poppins? Yes, they wrote Mar the Mary, Mary Poppins yeah. music and lots of other stuff. They're great. Uh, if you ever see it's called the boys if i remember correctly the documentary if you ever get a chance to see it it's really good it is really really not good. to be confused with the amazon prime tv show 
very <laughs> much not to be confused with the Amazon Prime TV show. <laughs> well, they also have them, and you get a little bit of it in the movie Saving Mr. Banks with uh, mm-hmm. with Tom Hanks and everything. They have those those two characters in it because they're they're doing the pre production work for Mary Poppins in that movie. And um, what's his name? He plays Ryan on The Office. Um, he's a writer and an actor. Um, Ryan Office actor. What is his name? Uh, BJ Novak plays one of them, mm. um, and he does he does a really good job. Um, there's a uh, there's a moment in that movie I love that movie um, where um, uh, there's just I, I I forget the exact encounter, but there's a very specific encounter between um, uh, uh, basically one of the. There, one of them, the the, the inward looking one, um, gets, and I think he's the one played by B.J. B. Novak, gets so fed up with um, P.L. Travers uh, and she with him that she ends up like throwing him out of the the room <laughs> while they're <laughs> while they're discussing, and he's like, she, he's like, what? You wait, you really want me out? And she's like, yes, or else we're done. And he's like. He just like quietly turns and he's got the thing is he's got a um uh, uh a cane like he did in real life because he's has a war wound from World War Two. And he like he like limps off and everything and she's like something to the effect of uh what's wrong with him and Disney's like war injury. She's like, No, why is he so crazy? War injury or something like that, you know. It's just <laughs> you know well, right? it, it was something like that. Anyway, but it was it, it's it's a really good movie. You get a little bit of that in there too, the the mm-hmm. whole Sherman Brothers dynamic, which I really appreciated because they were they and Walt were basically the ones who broke mary poppins and as of after breaking mary poppins like they had the disney formula going forward which eventually became what came back in the renaissance with ashman and mankin and so much cool stuff yeah um all right yeah uh zach as far as go ahead feedback on yeah uh ian's loved it great fantastic really loving what you're doing with the walter ulrich stuff um, I, I haven't bought the new book yet, but I am planning on it. Um, and specifically the line that stuck out to me was, uh, the response, uh, Walter's response to being called a jack wagon. Great response. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best. Oh, yep. So One good. of the best. So good. Um, yeah. Uh, Zach, are you planning on sharing something with us this evening or no? I'm just going to sit here and listen and I'm going to just keep playing my guitar while I'm on mute. Sounds good, man. All right. If you wanted to play something for us, let me know. Um, I guess I should go next. Maybe. I don't know. I guess I should go next and then TK and then Alex. Is that kind of where we're at right now? Cool. Sounds good to me. All righty. So Alex has recently read through... um, the Freak Show and the Eclipse, which is the uh, penultimate before the big three-parter finale to the first season of Guardians of Atlanta. Um, it is very different from the rest of them. It's sort of the horse and his boy of the whole thing, um, in a way. It is much darker than the others, and he selected two chapters 
that to him stuck out. Um, so I'm going to read those. Um, Alex, did you want to, you know, well, I, I'll, I'll give it to you. Why don't you set this one up? Um, because, you know, get, give the context for this. Cause you know it well enough to kind of say like who Marlon is and set up where he's living and all that kind of stuff. And we'll go and then mm-hmm. he finds Amy, like those three beats. And then we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll go into it if you would. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Marlon, if I remember correctly, I'll correct you if you're, um, is, uh, is a child who is like as a baby is captured from a hospital, uh, and taken by a witch, uh, who's named black squawk and raised to be a magician, uh, wizard. I'm not sure what exactly your term was for it. I used warlock, Warlock, but yeah. 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 The practicer of the dark arts. Um, and he ends up growing up and eventually whenever he is, I get the sense, what, late teenager, 17, 18, somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. Um, a, uh, evangelist knocks on his door and shares the gospel with him. He's converted relatively quickly and given a Bible and ends up not wanting to be a warlock anymore. Eventually, his mother uh, finds out about this, and they end up battling, uh, having a, what, seven-day-long battle? It's a several-day-long battle. Yeah, several days. Several-day-long battle uh, of magic, him versus her, uh, and eventually he wins and kills her. Um. Burns down the building, uh, burns down his home to make sure that nobody ever finds out what happens there, uh, and then goes to live in a uh, defunct church. This is all happening in, what, upstate New York? He's originally in upstate New York and then goes to the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, then he finds, he's living in a abandoned church and uh, gathering everything that he needs in order to live. And then uh, he, one day, whenever he's praying, uh, is visited by a girl who is really weird and seems to be displaying some form of weird personality disorder. And he decides, okay, well, I guess I have to figure out what's going on here. And that brings us to the diagnosis. Two other small is things. that about right? Yeah, that's about right. The two other small things I'll mention about him. Um, one, he, well, three, one, he is trying, he is stealing internet and electricity to try and make a living as a writer, um, has a broken old laptop kind of thing. He is also, um, around six foot 11 and weighs relatively little for that frame. Uh, very skinny. He's scarred from the battle with his, with his mother. And as a result, one of the only dark arts he practices anymore is, uh, for shadow clothing to cover himself. And it, comes in for the form of just normal what looks like black clothing whatever usually has a hood on keeps it relatively normal like a hoodie but sometimes it becomes visually more you know voluminous and more like a cloak and that sort of a thing depending on the situation um just to give you an idea of what he's like so anyway think kind of slender man-ish um but you know more human obviously um anyway Uh, so I'll go ahead and start. This poem is written in the voice of Marlon Xanadu. In all my life, I've never seen such a creature as her. 
Such beauty externally she bears, and there's something inside that's pure. However, it's obvious it's been defiled by something much more deep. Her mind is not completely there, and though the climb is steep, I plan on helping this little one, for God sent her to me. And regardless of any fears I have, a diagnosis will help me see. Day 1 After a day with the girl God sent me, I've noticed some interesting things. I've witnessed three distinct personalities already, and that's certainly troubling. And so I'll document them here and my experience with them. For those who may be reading this now, I hope this will help many men. Personality 1 the personality I encountered seemed the most the first personality I encountered seemed the most lucid, even though she was definitely the one who seemed the most socially muted. I asked her name, and she didn't remember. A recurring theme I found. But just for the sake of defining these people, I've decided to call her Amy for now. Amy is a soft and scared little girl, who's happy I saved her life. She refers to me as her guardian angel, and she seems to put up a fight against all the forces that live in her head, though sometimes they prevail. I believe if there's a real person in this girl, Amy is the one who's real. Personality 2 Not to be mean, but number 2 made me shiver. The transition was jarring like a whitewater river, but when it was finished, the person I did meet was calm and quiet and eerily sweet. Whenever I asked a question in turn, she'd reply with some spiritual nonsense. For a moment, she tried to ignore me and meditate. This girl was some spiritual mess. So I named this one Diana, since it was the first goddess that came to mind. Diana's not really, uh, not one I really like to study, even though she's kind. Personality 3 the transition to this one was smoother than before. In fact, there was no transition, no mind-shaking war. One minute she was Diana, and the next came Jezebel, who is definitely my least favorite so far. For some seemed to know me well, or excuse me, for she seemed to know me well. Well, not personally or anything, but she did understand the power that I used when lending her a hand. This personality known as Jezebel knows much witch knows much witchcraft. She knows it very well, far more than I do, in fact. She talked of black magic so much I covered my ears and hid. She called me little boy and spoke of prophecy amid a mountain of stone in Georgia of all places. Soon she fell asleep, hiding all of Amy's faces. Diagnosis Day 2. This poem is written in the voice of Marlon Xanadu. What a night it was indeed. Amy slept very well. I, however, tossed and turned, wondering what kind of spell or who would ever inflict this damage on themselves or another. It was a puzzle I had to solve, though the thought of it made me shudder. Day 2. Day 2 overall seemed a lot better, though Amy was nowhere to be seen. I'm still convinced she's the actual person in this cavalcade of personalities obscene. Personality 4 This personality seemed somewhat confused and somewhat clumsy as well. She spoke in a southern accent, so I called her Belle. The most interesting thing that Belle did was not something that she said, but she started building something using whatever laid around her instead. She seemed very mechanically inclined, and so I let her do 
whatever it is she had in mind, but that plan went askew. Jezebel transitioned smoothly and swung the half-made object at me. I held her down and tied her up. She cursed at me with glee. I get to more on this later on, later on in The Jezebel Principle, but for now I have to treat this as something that isn't exactly fixable. Personality 5 The next personality shift was far more violent than normal. She twisted and convulsed in her bonds. It seemed almost paranormal. But when she came out of her shifting state, she inquired if I had been hurt. I told her no, realizing this was someone else, and I glad and glad I could rest for a spurt. <clears throat> this personality seemed very calm and loving, maybe undyingly faithful. She spoke of a son she lost long ago. It sounded incredibly painful. This one I named Mary, for she spoke only of her son, and that reminded me of the mother of Jesus, and I admit... I got lost in this one. Just as I was about to release her bonds, her voice changed abruptly in tone, this time more of a teenager's voice, someone who seemed far from home. She actually kissed me as I leaned down, and I backed away in a fright. She laughed and playfully mocked my reaction, and her smile was seductive and slight. I ignored this one as much as possible due to my embarrassment. Though what she said was still interesting, and it was apparent, this personality was most carnal of all, playful in every possible thing. I put her down as Brittany, because she reminded me of pop stars who sing. <clears throat> the Jezebel Principle All these things being said about personalities great and small, the one thing I seem to have overlooked, or the one thing I seemed to overlook might be the most important of all. Jezebel is deceitful deceitful as can be. She'll even act like the others to try to fool me. Some of these personalities might just be a con. In fact, all of them could be. But I think that's wrong. They all seem like echoes to me, except for sweet Amy. I plan to help her somehow. I will help this lady. Final diagnosis. Some want to leave, some want to stay, some want to help, and some want to play. But the constant thing between all of these is that mountain of stone. Whatever is troubling her, the answer is there, and she will not go alone. I will use all the money I've saved, and by hook or by crook get us down to Stone Mountain, Georgia, to find out what makes this lovely girl frown. So there we go. <clears throat> A lot more cerebral than my normal fare. Um, I think that's mm -hmm. why Alex liked it so much. I liked it very much so. <clears throat> Any specific comments, thoughts, things you liked? Um, I liked that he gave them all names that made sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I liked, I liked the meter of it. I liked the uh, the sort of. It it didn't sound it didn't sound like your normal poetry. Like it, it, I was kind of getting lost in it. Like it didn't sound like it was poetry at all. It sounded more like a, a journal mm -hmm. entry by a scientist, and I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I was gonna say. Well, he's approaching it more like a scientific sort of view because that's how he thinks he can actually help her. He thinks it's 
Uh, he's not sure if it's spiritual or medical at this point, but he feels like he has to go the medical route to nail it down. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. even though he has... This is the other thing. He's he's a, a very isolated Christian convert and thus basically defaults to Roman Catholicism and is very... Um, very very guilt ridden, obviously, and does and and, does, and 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 does not want to f- use the magic any more than he ever has to because he believes it's wrong and he doesn't even know how wrong at this point. Like he's still trying to figure that out, right? And so there's a lot of mm-hmm. stuff there. Um, Alex, you've talked to me a little bit about this, but what what specifically about these two um, diagnosis day one and two that really locked you in? Um, like compared to the rest of the stuff, what, what really caught you? So part of it is the, it sounds so different from everything else that you write that Mm -hmm. it sounds a lot more like a journal entry instead of like actual metered poetry. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I really like that. I really, really like that because that's how I've been able to read what poetry that I have read is instead of trying to catch under just reading through it as best I can moving from line to line. And that works. My, my method of reading it works super well for this. And I loved it. Mm. I I thought that was great. The other thing is the uh, way that this shows both uh, like explicitly the personality of Amy or personalities of Amy uh, and all of that, as well as the way that you reveal uh, Marlon's personality by how he's thinking about it. Right. Implicitly, less explicitly, but this is really, really good in the whole episode arc of Freak Show and the Eclipse um, of character building. And I like character building. I I, I like reading character building. I don't like writing character building. I like (laughs) world building. But I love reading character building or hearing character building read. What do, you, what do you think these two specifically did for Freak Show, if I may ask, for Marlon? Um, like, and your understanding of who he is. And you can, I don't mind spoilers, particularly as this has been out for a little while mm. in various forms. So like, um, how did mm. this connect for you, like with the arc, with episode arc, and like mm. knowing who Marlon is? Like, how did this specifically bring you into Marlon more? Particularly for me, this was the first time that it felt like he got out of his own head mm. um, and actually had something to do. Yeah. Because he was he, he was doing his writing. He was, you know, surviving, but he was very much uh, in a uh, self-pity state, I right. guess. Hey, Daniel. And hello. Hey. How are you, man? <laughs> just that laugh cut off by the mic the evil the evil laugh in the dark (laughs) yes (laughs) oh you're on mute man yeah you're muted it's been a week or a year i don't know (laughs) for those of you who don't know i crashed my car yeah yep yeah. How was work though? Yeah, work. It was typical today. Well, we're kind of we were out of everything. Oh, that stinks. We ran out of Chick Fil A sauce. Wow. 
Oh, no. Yes. It's crazy. Why? Um, Was it just, like, super big rush? Or... Oh, I mean, it's Black Friday. It was, like, not even a rush. It was just all day crazy. (laughs) Non-stop. Poor man. didn't ever stop. Yeah, you're probably near a big shopping area, right? We're right next to a shopping center, and Mm. it's, like, the biggest in the area. Yeah. Yeah, that'll do. It's like this big old Target and JCPenney and all like the big stores. So everyone does their shopping. They would just walk down the line. They get to Chick-fil-A. They're hungry. They buy $100 worth of food. Start screaming at us that we're out of Chick-fil-A sauce. And it's like, do you see the store? Yeah. <laughs> we're overflowing. over here. What'd you say, TK? I said, got the Will Smith arms over here, demonstrating the size of the crowd. <laughs> yes, exactly. Our friend Daniel Reed needed to vent for a moment, so we shall take a brief intermission. Enjoy this music from the classic Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, for no particular reason. Uh, I just have a big man. intermission part of it. I love it. I love it. Just drop the chitty chitty bang bang music in. <laughs> I love that. I might do that. <laughs> That's a great idea. Do it. Do uh, it. Oh boy. Darth Sidious was. Do it. <laughs> do it. Do it. Dracula um. pig. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. So, where were we? It was going to be TK's turn, correct? Yes. TK, did you have anything further on Freak Show before we you start up? Uh, no, I've talked to you about this before. I edited, I edited it for you. Oh, that's right. You back, did a while so. back. Yeah. Okay. So, yep. Alrighty. Alrighty. Since at least one person hasn't been here, this is their first time, um... My stories take place in a world that is sort of Narnia-ish in that people from the regular human world can cross over into the um, elvish other world at certain places. There's going to be an urban fantasy, kind of high fantasy mix. This is just the urban part that I'm going to be reading tonight. Some of it's going to be familiar from last month. But I have edited and added it and added it. Yeah. I went to college for this. Hmm. I have edited the manuscript since then. So I want to read it to you from from a point earlier in the story than I left off last time. Uh, okay. So the breakfast table was live was lively as usual. Her, my main character, Sarah, brother-in-law, Steve, sat near her father, looking tired. Good morning, Steve. Rough night? Morning, Sarah. Yeah, very rough night. More vandalism down at the old mall. I think it's a bunch of teenagers playing at being wizards. I'll never know what made them decide to open up a mall of all things beside Lake Albion, said Rachel, her mother. That lake's been messed up for ages. You remember that Swampy's place? 
as Celeste, Sarah's oldest sister. Ugh, those robots gave me the creeps, said Sarah. Are those supposed to make kids happy again? I don't know, but the whole mall was a fool's errand at the time and a taxpayer-funded boondoggle ever since, <laughs> roused Patrick, her father, from behind a newspaper. Sarah went and grabbed her cereal and came back to the table. Why don't they just push it in? asked Uriel, one of her other sisters. She has, for the record, Sarah has seven sisters. No, six sisters, she's number seven. My bad. Legal limbo and disposal costs, Patrick Grouse. The developer had promised the sun, the moon, and the stars in their forces, and still does, for a hunk of land by a polluted lake and a mall that has an unstable foundation. Oh, is that why it closed? said Sarah. Yeah, the foundation's no good on one end of the building. There's a sinkhole, possibly an old salt mine. It was fine when the mall was built, but the influx of trucks and stuff wore away at it little by little. There came a knock at the door. Patrick got up and opened it. Oh, Fred, come in. A short young man with curly brown hair entered the room. He was Serafina's cousin Bartholomew, Fred Durf, O'Reilly. He was older than Sarah by a few months, and they had always been the best of friends. He had eschewed his normal bright-colored clothes for a black pants and a black-and-white striped shirt and a black beret. Fred, called Sarah. Hey, Sarah, running a little late? Yeah, I had a bad night. Fred sat astride a nearby extra chair, leaning his chin on the back. You've been having a lot of those. It's fine. I'll be fine, said Sarah quickly. Nobody, Fred especially, dared question this statement. Patrick opened his mouth to ask a question, but his wife shook her head. When Sarah was ready to talk, she would. Sarah finished her cereal and stood up. We'd better book it or we'll miss the bus. We'll see you later today, sweetie. I love you, said Rachel. Love you too, Mom. Sarah and Fred struck out down the street towards the church. Both carried backpacks and had on light jackets. You really ought to talk about what happened more, said Fred. I can't. Mom and Dad would be destroyed. They freaked the heck out when they saw my stars. Well, wouldn't you? I mean, look at your poor hand. Fred, you don't get it. If I talk about it, Dad might try to keep me from going back. Why? The other fairy people are good, right? Yes, but Dad seems suspicious of all imaginable beings. I wish he could meet Fingal, or even just see the other one. Then he'd understand. Up over the hill they climbed. A crow flew over their heads, cawing. Fred nodded at the bird. He says we're expecting company. I wonder what he means. Fred had an odd habit on top of his other odd habits. He talked to the birds and spoke like they could talk to him. Sarah, he could indeed understand them, and that he could speak to them in return. She believed him, of course. As it passed the Evermore door, it swung open. The pair jumped back and surprised. A large, powerfully built form in a dark blue hoodie opened the door. Oh, it's only you, Boris, said Sarah, relieved. Morning, my lady, he said, hiding his face. What are you doing here? It's hard to chop wood in the dark. Well, that makes sense. Boris reached up to a patch on his hoodie and said, Bird. I still have not figured out the magic word. A ripple of gold washed across the fabric and disappeared. Glamour spell, Boris said by way of explanation. Oh, neat. Sarah turned to her cousin. This is my cousin, Fred. Fred, this is Boris. Fred Durf, pleased to meet you. Fred Durf? It's the same forwards as it is backwards. Or shrugged. Or float your boat, I guess. Aren't you guys going to be late for the bus? Aw, oh, jeez. Come on, Fred. Sarah started running down the hill with Fred right behind. Oi, watch your step, you two. 
If anything happens to you, Lord Pretty Boy will kill me. Boris hollered down after them. Ah, oh, they're gone. Get some work done, then report to Dad. Sarah and Fred came to the shelter with time to spare. They caught their breath, Sarah turned to Fred. I wonder how the crows knew Boris was coming. They must keep to a schedule. The crows can tell time, you know. Fred sat down on the bench, then flipped his body around so his legs dangled over the back. I wonder if he's the same person the crows call little horns. Yes, actually. Boris has tiny horns and tusks. His father is nowhere. Whoa! It's complicated. I'll bet. I asked, but the birds only said, You don't know big horns and little horns? Like I was the problem. The bus rolled to a stop and the pair climbed aboard. They sat on the same bench, Sarah by the window and Fred by the aisle. Once the bus was moving, Fred opened his backpack and pulled out a hard shell makeup case. He crossed his legs into the tailor position and balanced the case on his lap. He opened it, flipped the mirror up, and began applying thick white grease paint to his face. Uh, Daniel, do you think you can mute yourself? You're making quite a bit of noise. Sorry, Dan. Uh, looked at the mirror and began applying thick white grease paint to his face. Other people climbed onto the bus, staring in fascination, horror, curiosity, and some with disgust. Sarah glared at these people. Hey, you've never seen a man apply grease paint before? Everyone immediately snapped their eyes front and looked out the windshield. Wasn't that a little rude, Sarah? Asked Fred, applying his eyeliner. Well, they were rude first. Fred painted teardrops under his eyes and applied lip liner. Now, before mime law comes into play, do you need me to stick around until the theater opens? Sarah shook her head. Now nah, I'll be fine. Fred briefly made a face that said, I don't believe you. Then he faltered back to his normal cheery expression. Applied dark red lip paint and cleaned his hands and put his makeup kit away. He tapped Sarah on the shoulder and gestured to his face. Look great, Fred. Hold on, your beret. He adjusted the cap. There, that's better. Marcel Marceau would be proud. Fred gave a thumbs up as the bus came to a stop. He followed the mimes code to the letter. No talking until the makeup was off. Fred got off the bus in a large park. Temporary park was the cultural center of Rock City's outer ring the playhouse and a small art museum sat. This it was the place where older people went and people with families to see the local group, group of players do family-friendly shows and Shakespeare plays. Sarah worked as an apprentice under the costume mistress Miss Janssen, and Fred made a tiny amount of money busking in the park. The players had pretty much adopted Fred as one of their own, especially the four who formed the core group of the players. Three of these were waiting for them at the bus stop. Hail and well met, good fellow, cried one of them, with sandy hair that he wore long to his shoulders. Fred bowed and helped Sarah off the bus. There's our charming Cinderella, said the other man. Stick tall and stick thin, with red hair and an English accent. I'm not Cinderella, Ollie. Of course not, broke in the girl. She's Alphaba. Alphaba? Commander of her own destiny, defying gravity. Oh, come on, Isabella. What else do you call escaping being trafficked and beat up? Survival? Yeah, but not just that. Look at you now. Embarrassing her now, Isabella, said the sandy-haired boy. We're just proud of you, that's all. Thanks, Jimmy. You guys barely know me. I talked about you enough while you were gone. We feel like you've kn we've known you a long time. Fred waved his hands and pointed to a large fountain. Of course. Get going, Fred, said Isabella. We'll hang out with Sarah. Fred gathered up his things and jogged off. 
Now we're just waiting for Lewis, said Oliver, looking around, being the tallest. He's always just a little late, Bella. Sarah shifted her feet and reached under her coat for her brooch. She'd always been very shy, but the transition back had made it worse. The noise, the smells, and the harsh lights had done a number on her. Not to mention now having to face getting back to the bar, as in ballet. Sure, she'd gotten back into dancing in the other world, but she still had some endurance to gain. She pulled out the brooch, not really caring who was with her. Oliver called out, Oh, there he is! Sarah clasped, clasped the brooch to her chest and looked up. Trying towards him was Louis Lear. Seraphina could sense a strong glamour around him, strong enough to block her sight. Which meant one of two things. Either he was an elf in disguise, or he was some sort of enemy. She'd seen him rarely before, enough to know that he treated everyone, especially ladies, with great respect. There you are. Forgive my tardiness, Lewis said, in an odd sort of English accent Sarah couldn't place. There was an emergency phone call from my family in Britain. Hang on. Ah, is everything all right? asked Oliver. Perfectly, it was just something having to do with Father's estate. Sarah shrank back behind Jimmy, trying to feel out what Lewis was. She held tight to the brooch, like if she held on long enough, some of Fingal's inside would pass to her. Sarah, what's the matter? asked Isabella. I'm not sure, Sarah responded. Boy, let's get Sarah inside, ordered Isabella. I don't think she feels safe out here. Isabella took Sarah's hands and led the way, with the boys falling in single line behind them. Isabella, I don't think you need to hold my hand. I'm the mom friend. It's what I do. Sarah walked quietly. She still knew there was no good in asking further. She looked over her shoulder at Lewis. She still couldn't tell what was up with him. She shoved the brooch back into her, the inner pocket of her coat. Sarah worked that morning on the to-do list Miss Janssen had left for her. Organizing the props and costumes for the players was first, then lunch, then the ironing and wig maintenance. Out on the stage, the players were rehearsing, and once they were done, she could do some dancing. She was too far from the stage to hear exactly what was happening. There was a sudden bout of shouting. She turned off the iron and ran out to the stage to see what the commotion was. Get out of here, Tarquin! Isabella shouted. Sarah looked down into the audience and saw a skinny, greasy-looking young man sitting in the third row center seat. He was dressed in expensive clothes and had an air about him that seemed off. How many times do I have to tell you I'm not interested? Isabella, just listen, he said, getting up and coming towards the stage. Lewis and Oliver jumped in front of Isabella, while Jimmy, defying his size and build, charged off the stage. She told her to leave. She told you to leave, Ragno, and I'm going to make you. Sarah watched as Fred sneaked his way down the aisle, motioning for silence. You and one army. Fred tapped Tarquin on the shoulder. The other man whipped around, taking and taking advantage of the surprise, Fred grabbed one of Tarquin's arms and twisted it, so he yelped. Jimmy grabbed the other, and together the pair frog-marched Tarquin out the door. The players cheered as they returned. Fred bowed theatrically as if he were, as he was still made up and couldn't speak. Good riddance to bad rubbish, burst Oliver. Isabella groaned in disgust and put, pushed Lewis and Oliver apart and away from her. Personal space, please. How many times do I have to tell you guys? I can handle it myself. He clearly wasn't listening, Isabella, said Jimmy. Well, I'll make him listen. How? Isabella's confidence deflated. I don't know, but I'll figure it out. What was all that? asked Sarah, coming out on the stage. I ex Tarquin Ragno, Isabella spat. What did, you, what did he do that he got you so mad? 
He's a manipulative, lying, cheating, stalking son of a nutcracker, hollered Jimmy. Eddie spread nasty rumors about me. Fred loped up the stairs and put his arms around Isabella. She smiled. Freddy looked at, around at her friends. I think we're done for the day. Why don't we clear the stage so Sarah can dance? I'll stop there. That's about all I've gotten edited. Now I have to press the several buttons to unmute. Well done. <laughs> I have to. I have to uh, to mute not only for you guys, but also for the recording. That's something that mm -hmm. I learned a while ago. Anyway, uh -huh. but but yes. Anyway, so very very nice, Alex. Did you want to go first on this one? Um, I got a weird case of deja vu that I had heard the first part of this before. I have no clue why. <laughs> there were a couple oh, running gags yeah. that I noticed, particularly the uh, the Fred Durf spelled backwards <laughs> thing. But I feel like that's just his character, right? Like he just says the same stuff over yes. and over. <laughs> so he's um, based oh. go. He's based on Mork from Mork and Mindy. So mm -hmm. yep, yep. There's gonna be. The joke's in there. It's Robin Williams being obtuse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah, you thought you heard the first part, Alex, uh, but continue on. Once he's yeah, I thought I, I thought I had heard the first part before, but yeah, I, I, I hadn't heard the last of it. So I, I don't know. That was just something weird that happened. Um, <laughs> outside of that, really liked it. Um, specifically, uh, your standard quippy dialogue, uh, the Lord Pretty Boy tells you so much about the relationship between the two characters just in that, in that sentence. So, yeah, I, I, I thought that that was great. And, uh, the following of the mind code was very interesting to me. Well, thank you. I don't know if that's really a thing, but it is in Fred's mind. So that's all that counts. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The more and more, it, it's a good bit of world building. Yeah, very show don't tell. The more and more I hear from this, and take this fully as a compliment, the more I could see this as a pushing the boundaries uh, sort of thing on an early two thousands Disney Channel show, like an <laughs> like an animated show. You know what I mean? Or like uh, a, a really well a really well crafted live action sort of thing that where they were actually like trying to push the boundaries of, of budgets and things for a Disney channel show. It has that vibe to it. Um, but mm -hmm. not, not like the sitcoms, not something like that. Like it was, it's more like the, the, the decom movies. It's very similar to that mm -hmm. in my mind. Um, and I just, I can see that. I really like sitting in the vibe of all of it because it has, it takes its own self seriously and it's not, you know, something you know, crazy out there as far as um, any of that. But like the pop culture mixed with the fantasy is something that Disney did a lot in the two thousands over like the whole, throughout the mm -hmm. whole decade. And it, it gives me that vibe, but from coming from you, I, I, I don't have the overwhelming sense of Disney's going to kill it. Disney's going to kill it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so, so, so I enjoy it more because I'm not afraid they're going to kill it. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you yeah yep. mm -hmm. so 
And I know I get very big picture stuff, but that's just because I don't have all your documents in front of me. I don't see where everything's going and whatever else. So like I could go deeper into that at some point, but I'm just, I, I love every bit of it. I just like sitting in the world, which is like one of the biggest compliments I can give because I don't have patience for world building a lot of the time. Um, I kind of give a vibe to the world and I am happy with the vibe. And then like the characters are the interesting thing. That's, that's my thing, you know, and uh, both what I love and what I do. But when I get to a world where I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm chilling. I can just sit back and chill. That, that is highest compliment of world building in my opinion that I can possibly give anybody. Cause there are very few fantasy worlds that I'm just like, no, yeah, I'm hanging out here. Honestly, Middle Earth, as great as it is, I don't want to hang out in Middle Earth. I do want to hang out, maybe in the Shire, but but Narnia, I want to live there. And it's a very loose mm. world building, you know what I mean? So, like, anyway. Any other thoughts from Daniel or um, uh, Zach? I need to unmute Daniel because I muted him on my end. Um, and, yes, you can mute other people on your end if you need to, um, Ian. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yes. And he mutes me. <laughs> to figure out how. You have to right click, right click the person, and then you have the option to mute. Uh, you see on the left hand sidebar where it says the broadcast, it lists oh. all our names. You click, you right click that person, and you can click mute. And that just mutes oh, it for okay. you. It doesn't mute it for the call. Go ahead, Daniel. Oh, you're good. No, I want to hear what you had to say. Oh, I got you. Um, see, I have a lot of trouble with auditory content and stuff. If I don't have like a transcript, right? Yeah. Um, I'd love to read any of your stuff, TK. Where can I find it? Uh, if you go to the text, not text channels, but uh, projects, published works, uh, she has a link in there. Chronicles of the Hidden People, Volume 1, Book of the White Raven. It's on Kindle and all that. Yep. So she's... Cool. I'll have to look into it and start reading some stuff from you guys. He's actually muted on our end. I don't know how I did that. I I didn't... He's not... (laughs) I haven't clicked it. I just can't hear him. (laughs) Hello? Can you hear me now? Good. Anyway. Does anyone remember those besides me? Okay. Yeah, we can hear you, Daniel. I heard my Uh, name and I... You right click his name, the eclipse thing, and then you choose mute. Uh, 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 there's a mute uh, off and on toggle. There we go. Okay. Say something, Dan. Daniel, say something. Daniel. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> He's no, not saying anything. He's not saying anything. Oh, yeah. There he goes. I just. I couldn't really process what I was hearing. Um, I, I had can't hear it. That's weird. <laughs> that is weird. I'll pick it hmm. up on the replay. Okay, cool. All right. Um, any which way, uh, I think that leaves Alex, unless, Daniel, you had something to share. Um, no. Okay. Um, Alex, you got world building stuff that you need help with. Um, yes, and we yes, were do. gonna try and wait till oh. Brendan gets back, but at the same time, I feel like he's due back any minute. So, like, you can probably just uh-huh. go ahead and start, and then we can catch him up. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I'm gonna call it a night because uh, it's it's getting kind of late for me. Mm-hmm. So, all right, guys. Okay. Farewell. 
All righty, gents. We'll see you all. See you around. All right. Wilsons are gone. Brendan should be back okay. soon, but you can go ahead when you're ready, yeah. and we'll get started on this. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So a um, little bit of context for people who don't know. I think I've talked with Zach about this some outside. Um, but I have been building a fantasy world for the better part of six years or so. Uh, just bits and pieces here and there, all that type of stuff. It's called Coralta. Um, and I have recently, meaning within the last six months or so, started running a uh, GURPS, which is basically D&D for math nerds. Oh, yeah. And I homebrewed all the math out of it, which is very fun. Um, but uh, running a RPG campaign in the world of Coralta. This last week... Uh, I left the room to do uh, some prep for uh, they're wanting to forage for medicine and stuff. And I said, okay, well, uh, I'm going to go figure out this stuff for a few minutes. Just play amongst yourselves. If you have any like big decisions that need to happen, then take a vote and figure out how to do that. Uh, Self-GM, effectively. I came back and... Uh, they greeted me with words, so where are we? Because they had voted uh, that the very soft magic system that I have, I have two magic systems, uh, actually I have like four magic systems now, um, but the uh, very soft magic system that I had given one of the characters minor access to, they had voted uh, that it had teleported them to the origin of that magic system called the Misty Realm which is basically the place that I gave myself in the world where I can just hand wave and say, this thing exists, this thing exists and not have to put any solid world building behind it at all. I had done one shots with them where like a teleportation spell had been messed up mm -hmm. and they accidentally got teleported to the Misty Realm mm -hmm. and they loved it. Um, and I'd thrown out like a single plot hook that they could come back to at some point in time in the distant future or anything like that. And they decided, you know what? No, we're going to take down the empire. We're, we're going to take down the Empire right now, um, and we're going to use this to do it. So I threw, so I'm throwing away my entire piracy campaign that I had planned, um, and a instead jumping to a, well, the evil Empire needs to be destroyed campaign. Okay. Which I was not expecting to do. <laughs> well, then. <laughs> and Zach, Francesco is going with them, by the way. Zach joined us two sessions ago or something and uh he played a bear it was they did uh. well 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 so, yeah i'm speed running the world build for the misty realm <laughs> um and i have okay so I can point you to aesthetics to start, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I'm I'm trying to get my head around the gist of the issue. It's mm -hmm. uh, that you had this one area that was kind of like a soft world building, mm -hmm. um, and they're asking questions that you just don't have answers for. They're not doing anything yet. I called it a game after they decided, oh, we're teleporting. I said, well... Fine, you can do that, but I'm going to need at least a week to prep for this. Gotcha. 
to like what are your ideas about the misty realm again like okay so first things first uh what i have so far the entire thing is always misty perpetually like you have dark sky whenever it's night and then you have a slightly lighter sky whenever it's day because mist that's it mist fog all of it i've also kind of decided i haven't put this into anything in game actually that uh the mists are not sentient but are magical somehow and there's a magic system called mist weaving um so that that's what i have on that so far as far as the land goes uh, I am borrowing a page from Brendan's Feywild story, and the land shifts randomly. And so there are basically, one, uh, as far as gameplay goes, this would not be this isn't canon in the world, uh, but it makes it a lot easier. There's one mile by one mile squares, effectively. And on a uh, if you roll two d four and they come up at the same number, they shift. And so you have. This square that is connected, uh, so city connected to forest, connected to stream. Um, and then the next morning, you roll and it changes to city connected to other city. It almost really sounds like a dreamscape sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Very much so. That That's kind of the feel that I was going for it. It's like a um, and, dream dimension sort of thing. Yeah. Hmm. The thing, the thing that gives the Empire their power is that they have a map that allows oh, them what? to see... They have a map that allows them to see where uh, things are and where things are going to be. So they are the only power in the Misty Realms uh, that can actually navigate it with any form of certainty whatsoever. And that gives okay. them a, a tremendous amount of power. I have also... Uh, canon in a game in a game session so i can't change it uh that this map is powered by willcraft which is the evil evil magic system in my world um and the only way that it is able to exist in the misty realm because the mists militate against willcraft and will attack any use any evil magic users um is because it is separated by several layers of vaults inside of the castle inside of the capital city away from all of the mists. Hmm. So, the question that I had for whoever, whenever I jumped on last Monday, um, is how do I metaphysically handle the confusion of the Misty Realm? Because eschatologically, is there a place for confusion or chaos or uncertainty. Yes. Birth. You think that there is? Birth. What? Birth? Birth. We're talking metaphysically here. Earth. No. B-I-R-T-H. Birth. Okay. Birth. Okay? Yes. We're, we're talking metaphysically within the journey of a human being, regardless of whether there ever was or a fall, etc., etc., etc. Birth is always confusing. And always has been. Okay. Uh, so, like, this is like the realm of, like, pre-existence is what you're saying. Close, yes. At least oh. the realm of early childhood. Ooh. Like, earliest oh. childhood. Oh. That is so... Okay. 
Thus, like it's sweet, but it's creepy. Oh, and where the mist, there's the mists are the vague sense of good, of God, the vague sense that all creatures have of God. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so it's like the mixing pool of like creation and where things are Mm kind of like before they exist. It's a land of potential in time and space. It is a land of potential and a, a land of perpetual potential everything. Perpetual okay. potential. That's fun. So, anyway, hmm. I need to specifically reference a few aesthetics that you need to put into this thing. In my opinion. Are oh. you ready? First of all, yeah. and probably one of the absolute number one, where the wild things are. Yeah. By Maurice yeah, Sendak. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. You're, you're following me because that whole book, the whole thing. And if you ever see the film, it's the same sort of feeling of this, like, mm-hmm. just like early childhood potential of the world. Yeah. The world is so big. The evil is so mm-hmm. evil. The good is so good. Just that everything is possible. And as a result, it's absolutely terrifying. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm getting okay. I'm kind of getting upside down vibes like Yes, but, but the upside yes, but the upside the, the, the upside down is inherently evil in its general vibe whereas this is actually generally good, but there's mass potential for evil as well, right? Uh-huh. Um so think of the think of the garden, you know, this is the gar- this is the garden as well. This is the mm-hmm. sense of 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 the the possibility of evil coming into the world, the possibility of and if sinning, it's in like in a constant right? state of flux, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. The next one mm-hmm. is uh, Doctor Seuss's worlds, more his worlds than his characters or his, you know, specific, char- you know, anything like that. But just yeah, yeah. the sort of metaphysic of Doctor Seuss as an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we've got the Little Prince. I don't know if you have read the Little Prince, or have seen I the movie. I read it a long time ago. Okay, you should see the Netflix movie if you get a chance. It's actually really good. Like, really I know Zimmer good. did the score for it, and it's fantastic. Oh, it is so good. Um, the score is incredible, for sure, but like the movie is, oh, it's so good. Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The entire thing coming mm-hmm. in, like, he knows what's going on. You know, he is essentially mm-hmm. the mists, even though the mists aren't communicating. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Um, and so there's okay. there's vast potential in the factory. Uh-huh. Anything could happen around any corner. And then you have Wonderland. I just rewatched that today. Just the, so you know. the, the Disney one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but Dis- the old Disney one, not the weird Johnny Depp one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not the really old Disney one, though. Not the one from like the twenties or thirties where he mixed animation and live action. No, not that one. But I know what you're saying. That's a thing that exists. It's one of the very. It's the first American live action mixing of uh, live action and animation. There is a French film that predates it, but Walt Disney was the first American to do it. Um, yeah. And it only predates it by like two years or something like that. Um, and so, yes, that's a thing that exists. And then the Laughograms, Alice Adventures. He did a lot of stuff with Alice before they ever did the Alice in Wonderland movie. Uh, Alice, mm-hmm. Alice and the Wonderland books were one of his big inspirations very early on. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, but those aesthetics, you need to stick with the childlike part of this because otherwise the whole thing is going to fall apart. It's not okay. just mystery. It's a sense of like, I'm too young to understand what any of this means. 
Thus, you're leaning into okay. the soft magic because it's so much bigger than you. That's what soft magic really is at its core, is magic mm -hmm. that is too high for you to understand and grasp. Mm -hmm. You can have a soft magic system that is entirely eldritch horror based, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But you yeah. can. But you can also. But that's because it's so much higher than you. This mm -hmm. needs to be the entire world metaphysic, like the mind bending, brain breaking stuff that you've experienced in your life. Mm -hmm. That that is what it what what the misty realm actually is. It's all that mind breaking metaphysics, but you're a little child essentially, <laughs> and can't okay. under, and can't understand any of it, and you're terrified by all of it, good and bad. So that's just I know I'm speaking very broadly and aesthetically, but this is extremely important to pulling off anything that's soft magic based. You have to create okay. a sense of awe and wonder, or it seems cheap. Mm -hmm. And everything that you just mentioned sounds like the experience, I imagine, of course I don't actually remember, of being inside a mother's womb and hearing the entirety of the world happening outside of you and not understanding any of it. Now imagine okay. you now imagine you break out into the cold world. It's far colder mm -hmm. than you've ever experienced, far drier than you've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. This is I'm I'm picturing a dry mist, not a wet mist, mm -hmm. you know, in this kind of situation. It is a cold unknown by its very nature. But there is good that constantly surrounds you, but you don't understand it and you don't know its intentions. And there could be evil around any corner as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't need drugs. Okay. I got you guys. This is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Clip that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Um, yeah, okay. Okay, that that's that's good. I, I I like that. I'm definitely going to start working with that in mind. Here's the next thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm trying to world build out. I'm deciding that while they are here, I'm going to be doing harder world building for this section because I can always say, okay, well, the Empire and this version of the Misty Lands. They are they no longer show up in the Misty Millions whenever you're there because it can be right. as big or as small or anything as I want it yes. to be mm -hmm. because of soft world building. It's a it's a world of soft world building inside of my extremely hard world building world. Yes, which I like and find fun. Yes. Um. But as far as it goes, um, I've decided that um, about a thousand years ago. Uh, a demon, effectively, moved in and, and tried to start taking over the Misty Realm. Um, that demon's name was Krayt. Uh, K-R-A-Y-T, I believe is how I spelled it. And uh, had temples built to him, all, all that fun stuff. Uh, but then about 500 years ago, because I said 1,000 years ago before, I think. Uh, then about 500 years ago, the Empire came in. 
and the Empire crushed Krait. Um, but the Empire was also controlled by a uh, the Empire was also controlled by a demon named uh, Tothnel. Okay, and I, I have angels, demons, monotheistic system, all, all that fun stuff in my world. It's trying to do what uh, Lewis and Tolkien were doing, where it's it, it's the same God, just different world, yeah. different ideas around side of that. That type of thing. That's what I'm going for. Yep. But they are both battling over it. So this is where any of my players, if you're watching, you shouldn't have been watching, but stop watching now, definitely. Um, the resistance, like the formal resistance against the Empire, is being run by the Cult of Crate. Okay. So... You have both the good guys and the bad guys are both demons. Right. I think that that will be interesting to I play with. Yeah, totally. What, what are the... This, especially with the mists being like a representation of God or goodness in some form. So in the demons, uh, the, the, the two demons that you have kind of pitted against one another for control of the mm -hmm. misty realm and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, what is what are the representative? I have less metaphysical aesthetics of these two individuals. Um, so I'm thinking uh, extreme order and chaos, effectively. Okay, so empire guy is order and crate is chaos. Exactly. Okay, so yes. so so you're um, doing a straight anarchy versus order sort of situation, but order of of a mm -hmm. brutalistic hierarchy exactly yes and the way that i'm showing that they're uh, the way that i'm like foreshadowing that they're connected is that the temples built to both of them are uh or the temples built to crate the anarchistic one um is brutalistic architecture and the temples built to uh tothnel that i keep forgetting uh that name but the temples built to tothnel are extremely non-brutal, like, absurdist in architecture. So they, they flip whenever it comes to their, uh, hmm. uh, like, their places of worship. Yeah. That's interesting. What's the purpose? Because I'm, I'm wanting to show that they're connected. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you need to flesh that out for specific reasons within the religions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the concept. You just need to very, very tightly... Um, mm -hmm. map that out. And this is another thing, like your third party in this ultimately is the misty realm itself. It is, yeah. it is nature in this case, mm -hmm. um, which is, yeah. uh, essentially ex nihilo potential personified as a nature. And, oh, did you hear me? Mm hmm. Uh, no, I did not. You broke up. I said this is basically ex the, the Misty Realm uh, is as the third party would essentially be ex nihilo um, uh, uh, potential personified. Ex nihilo potential personified. Yeah. So this is like this is like okay. the the void before creation in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not necessarily dark. You know, it's already got the light, mm -hmm. but it's just the light. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, yeah, <clears throat> that's and, and the spirit hovering over helpful. the waters, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, 
Okay. <laughs> so, um, going back to the first thing, um, is there a place for, should the Misty Realm remain Misty after the Eschaton? After after everything has come close, after everything has come to a close, should it still be like this mysterious place that nobody actually understands? What if like okay, um, go ahead. Correct me if there I'm wrong, but what if like as it gets more uh, towards the, like the ah goodness, I'm getting this idea of it actually like it returns to form, it returns back to the misty-ness. Like, that that goes back to what it should be. Um, hmm. Dang it. Sorry. Been a long day. My... No, no, no. I think you're... I think thought I th- me. I think you're you're on the right track. That's kind of what I was going to go for. Um, yeah. But so, it, but, like, but, it starts yeah. out misty. Problems arise. It gets less misty and less weird and less confusing. It gets more, more hard. Coherent. Yeah. It gets harder and more coherent. And that's the problem. Because if the misty realm stops being mm-hmm. the yeah. place where things are created, mm-hmm. things stop being created. Okay, yeah, and that's why, and that's why only Willcraft is able to make a map because it is inherently supposed to be, if not chaotic, unpredictable. It is meant to be potential. Mm. It is. It, it and there is a and there is still a place for potential at the end of the thing, right? In the Christian yeah, because if there isn't a place for potential, there isn't a place for. So met yeah met met exactly metaphysically let me put it this way if the misty realm is an embodiment of the ex nihilo potential of god right um if if that's if that's okay. what we're, what we're kind of going for um humans and demons trying to inflict hardness upon it is similar to how in our world uh the sins of everyone including the brutalization of Christ's body happened in our world mm-hmm. right and so they're trying to enact upon what was created what was perfect the perfect man right which this world is mm-hmm. created for the perfect man jesus right and yeah. so and so as a result there's there's this inflicting force against it and eventually triumphs and rules over right so essentially in this world the thing is not a human being the thing being you know the 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 what is lewis's term for this in uh, the space trilogy the Oyarsa, yeah, the Oyarsa. The Oyarsa in in the Misty Realm is not concrete in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. It is the ex nihilo potential of God personified as the mist. The mist okay. itself is the Oyarsa. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, yeah. I know, Dangle. I don't know if you've read uh, if you've read uh, Lewis's <laughs> space trilogy, but basically, the Oyarsa is the idea that on another planet, there's another Christ, like Aslan. You know? oh, okay, I've heard that idea. Before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you sure? Or am I sure? Because I thought the Oyar- the Oyarsa is Paralandra. The the Oyarsa are the uh, angels. Yes, but they're very specifically set as savior of the realm, and then there's the Lord over them, which is the Trinity. Okay, and then the Silent Planet was saved by Meleldil, 
becoming. I gotta read this book. The director Yarsa, yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly. Slash. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This I, okay. Like, yeah. I want to read it, but at the same time, it just the sound. It's a lot, it's man. So it, it it is a lot. You have to be okay. in a state to take a lot. So go ahead. Start yeah. with Out of the Silent Planet. Out of the Silent Planet is right. Much easier to understand. It is. This, you can take it as just like straight post, pulp fiction. Yeah, this sounds like a post-finals read. <laughs> Actually, a gap year read. <laughs> so I would Definitely. I would say Paralandra is, which is the second book. Um, I don't think that um, that hideous strength is necessarily. But it's it's sort of like out of the silent planet is 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 like a Buck Rogers space adventure kind of a thing, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Paralandra is this Shakespearean like deep thinking metaphysical uh, play, and then that hideous strength is like a really really well done Christopher Nolan type film where there's a lot of levels to it. But it's it's definitely still got a blockbustery sort of feel to it. So well, yeah. You, you would if you if you were adapting. Hey, Brendan. Um, hey. If you were adapting the space uh, the space trilogy into some form of visual medium, you would adapt out of the Silent Planet as a thirty, uh, possibly even less than thirty minute, like you know, twenty five minute whatever. Uh, either animated or not animated uh, TV show. But think Andy Griffith type mm-hmm. stuff. Right. Are you think? Um, oh, I'm sorry. So like it would be a 30 minute, one 30 minute episode. No, like maybe 15 episodes, one season of television. Effectively. Okay. okay. Uh, but 30 minute episodes, all that fun stuff. Uh, have the cliffhangers at the end of every episode. Just, you can fall into all of the general, like, that era of television tropes. Gotcha. The only way you could possibly adapt Paralandra, and I'm convinced of this, <laughs> is into a stage play. Yeah. It would have to be a stage play, and you would have to film the stage play. That's the only way you could do it. You can't do it any other way, because it's just not going to work, and you're going to have to take my word for that until you read it. But it has to be a okay. stage play. All right. And then, as Joshua said, that hideous strength needs to be a Nolan-esque giant-budget blockbuster film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it would be amazing. It, it would, like it full three-hour-long treatment. Yeah, just, yeah. Oh, so good. Anyway, like, you would have to actually adapt across mediums to do it well. Right. Any which way, uh, I think I'm going to cut the recording here. Uh, and go ahead and sign off on that, and then we can go back and tell Brendan a little bit about what we talked about with this Misty <laughs> Rome and uh, whatever else comes up. So everybody, be your family's bard. Do not turn to the right or to the left, and the Lord will be with you wherever you go. We'll see you next time in the trenches on Poets at War. This is the Broodcast, Inkling-style Discord chat, last Friday of every month. To join, go to joshuadavidling.com slash discord.